Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off podcast. This week it's time for a month in review. This is usually where my podcast producer sends me a list of news articles covering who's been hacked and I send back a list of complaints about how they're all ransomware. However, this month uh, there's been a few different stories, um, not necessarily different motivations. A lot of hackers are, of course, financially motivated, but we have seen some politically motivated hacks and those kinds of things. So I figured we'd take a look at who's been hacked this month talk a little bit about how that's uh, similar to historic breaches that have taken place, and talk a little bit about attacker motivations. So of course, starting with the financially motivated attackers and then building up to things like politically motivated attacks and how that can uh, impact the actions that the threat actors take and why companies might be uh, worried about or interested in politically motivated attackers. So it's not all ransomware, but the first story is about money. KuCoin, a Singapore-based digital currency exchange, were hacked, and this led to a loss of $275 million worth of cryptocurrencies. Um, interestingly, KuCoin said in regards to the breach, if any user fund is affected by this incident, it will be covered completely by KuCoin and our insurance fund. So that's an interesting thing to see uh, KuCoin saying, that they will cover it and that they have insurance to cover any losses. Um, it is a pretty significant breach. I mean, $275 million is a large amount. I think overall, based on what I've been seeing, uh, looking back at uh, historically other exchanges being breached, it's something like the third biggest breach in terms of total value stolen. This is, of course, not the first exchange to be hacked. In 2019, there was something like 12 breaches that I was able to find looking back at historical news articles. Um, in the case of KuCoin, it's been noted that they've been working with other exchanges to blacklist the hackers' uh, cryptocurrency addresses, and they've also uh, been working with law enforcement, of course. One thing I noted here is they're offering a reward of up to $100,000 for information that helps with the incident. So it looks like they're, they're jumping on the incident. I saw last night their CEO did a stream, a live stream, talking about the incident and what they're, what they're doing towards it. Interestingly, on the stream, one commenter mentioned that, uh, well, in the commenter's opinion, of course, if, uh, if KuCoin handled this breach well, uh, they would be. They would consider them uh, uh, an even better exchange. They would be more likely. That that one commenter's opinion is they'd be more likely to work with them in the future and use their platform uh, based on the uh, breach response. So that's an interesting thing to see, and, and also definitely something that we see uh, from customer opinions when they talk about breaches. Quite often, in my experience, a lot of it relies on uh, not not only what was breached and how it was breached, but uh, how well the organization responds to that but significant amount of money stolen. So it's not all ransomware. Sometimes it's just plain old financial game through stealing cryptocurrencies. What else is happening in the news though? What are the other personal motivations that threat actors might have other than just financially motivated attacks? Well, of course, one motivation is um, a little notoriety. We, we saw this back in 2011 with LulzSec, who compromised all kinds of organizations for, in fairness, several different reasons. Some of their work was tied to uh, politically motivated attacks, but a lot of what LulzSec did was, um, I'm going to use the term bragged, but uh, I think the term that they would prefer is um, hacked people because it was funny. They uh, bragged about the breaches online, leaking confidential information, logging credentials from organizations that they compromised, those kinds of things. Um, they also targeted just a range of organizations, uh, government-affiliated websites, PBS, uh, the U.S. media organization. They hit a lot of different um, organizations. Uh, Sony, they hit a couple of times. But they were hacking for, some would say, notoriety, and others would say, good old-fashioned fun. 
Um, I was reminded of the Lossack breaches, of course, reading uh, another news story from this month, Activision being hacked. So I saw this earlier last week, article stating that um, 500,000 Activision accounts had been hacked. Of course, I started thinking about possible motivations here. Could this be hackers looking for simple notoriety? Could it be a political statement due to Activision's dealings with China? Or was it simply to gain access to payment card information that may be stored alongside account details? Or was it simply to get access to all the damn campaign packs without having to pay for them just so that you can play Call of Duty? Um, interestingly, though, Activision followed up this uh, with a statement that read, Reports suggesting Activision Call of Duty accounts have been compromised are not accurate. We take we investigate all privacy concerns. As always, we recommend that players take precaution to protect their Activision accounts as any online accounts at all times. So Activision saying that they haven't been breached. Um, so why could some users be reporting that their accounts have been compromised if Activision are denying any particular hack? It could be as simple as credential stuffing. We've seen this previously where an organization is breached and a hacking group simply takes that list of usernames and passwords and tries them on other services looking for password reuse. Password reuse, of course, being very common. Um, users don't typically pick good passwords and very frequently reuse those poor passwords across online service providers. And not all online service providers support features such as multi-factor authentication. In fact, it's true that not all online service providers even effectively support password managers. I know I've complained previously about some organizations restricting the use of password managers by preventing things like pasting of passwords into login boxes, that kind of thing. So uh, credential stuffing is, is a big risk. Of course, the use of password managers to ensure passwords are unique across all websites is one way of dealing with it. Multi-factor authentication is another way of dealing with it. But it's very common when looking at organizations that they don't consider the risks of credential stuffing. I also worked with an organization doing um, some wargaming. So this is incident response uh, scenario testing. Sitting down, doing a table talk exercise with a customer, uh, looking through a recent breach and how might they deal with it. So it's like, oh, hey, a ransomware attack, how might you deal with that? It's a really good service for, for customers who want a simple, cost-efficient way of working out if your incident response plan is any good or not. And um, one of the scenarios that I run a company through was... Uh, effectively that they hadn't been breached, but that somebody online was claiming that they had. So somebody's getting a lot of media attention saying that they've hacked you, and then you as an organization have to go out and do what Activision have done in this case and say, we haven't been hacked. And how would you get the confidence as an organization to make that statement? Um, I've seen it a couple of times. Activision in this case is, is one example, but I've definitely seen a, a couple of times where organizations have had people claim to have breached them, either because... Uh, credentials have been you know, stolen, credential stuffing attacks like this possible case, or just because people are looking for a bit of media attention. So I've mentioned financially motivated attackers, attackers looking to make a name for themselves. I've briefly mentioned politically motivated attackers. What else could motivate a threat actor? Well, for pol politically motivated attacks, this could happen in a few different ways. Um, firstly, it's very common for sites to be defaced for political reasons, to spread a message. Uh, there's a website that uh, tracks these, zonehedge.org. Um, I took a look on that site to see uh, who's been hacked this month and who might be worth uh, pointing out for a possible politically motivated attack. And according to Zonehedge, Bracknell Town Council, uh, a, a council within the UK, had an incident at the start of the month. Not necessarily a politically motivated incident, though. That particular one was a little bit more like um, online graffiti. It was effectively like, 
Darren was here as a defaceman. It just mentioned the hacker's handle and, and basically claimed the hack. Um, but there's many defacements that are graffiti in nature, and there's many defacements that are politically motivated, where they're looking to spread a message. Um, zone H that I mentioned, you can search for specific ones, or you can search for domains. So I was obviously looking for .gov.uk, or you could look for .police.uk, and it will show you uh, recent defacements. So politically motivated attackers might just want to get a message out. Other politically motivated attackers, though, might be looking to do something a little bit bigger, a little bit bolder. A good example of that might be Operation Payback. Uh, this is back in 2010, which was, uh, I guess, a significant example of, of this kind of thing. It was a range of attacks performed by a decentralized group of attackers. Uh, it came in response to several Bollywood companies hiring a company called AIplex, or Iplex. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, and I've heard different people pronouncing it in different ways. But they're an Indian-based company who launched uh, distributed denial-of-service attacks against websites that did not respond to takedown notices. So if they're hosting uh, pirated content, the studios send them a message saying, take the content down, and if they didn't, um, Iplex would DOS them. So this resulted in um, a retaliation, several organizations being hit by DDoS attacks um, from the uh, pro-privacy groups as opposed to the anti-privacy groups. One example in particular made me laugh, though. That's the reason why I thought I'd bring it up here, even though it's an older breach. Um, ACS Law was hit by a distributed denial service attack as part of OpPayback, and the owner, when they were asked to respond about the breaches, said... It was only down for a few hours. I have far more concern over the fact of my train turning up 10 minutes late or having to queue for a coffee than wasting my time with this sort of rubbish. And, and I just thought that was a, a wonderful example of um, distributed denial service attacks can be used for politically motivated attacks. And um, for some organizations, I guess it just highlights that DDoS attacks might not be that big a deal. Uh, I've made this point before on the podcast, but DDoS attacks uh, can vary greatly depending on how long they last for and when they're performed. Taking a site down for a couple of hours in the middle of the night, they might not notice. Take a gambling company down during the Grand National, and that's likely to be significant. Or an e-commerce site over Black Friday, that's likely to be significant. So it's something for organizations to think about. It's not all ransomware these days. It could be uh, a range of motivations. Yes, financial, but maybe political. I guess something we haven't mentioned here as well is um, what I would broadly put under uh, insider threat. So insider threat uh, could be disgruntled staff. Um, it could also just be staff who um, maybe... Uh, don't have the same level of ethics that you do. I remember a good example of this um, last year, uh, an indictment being released. I think this was August 2019, if I remember correctly, where it came about, it was it was released that um, AT&T had had a series of issues with insider threats where a threat actor group had just paid members of staff. So um, those members of staff, maybe not you know uh, motivated threat actors but you give them a little bit of money and they might perform actions or disclose information on your behalf so this could be disclosing valid credentials in the case of the AT&T hack it was actually um, them uh, installing software performing actions so they're unlocking uh, mobile phones uh, on behalf of the of the threat actors that's a thing as well so when it comes to uh, the motivations of attackers 
Yeah, I complain a lot on this podcast about ransomware, but it isn't all financially motivated attacks. Uh, it can be financially motivated, it can be politically motivated, it can be staff that are just disgruntled. Uh, it can be hackers aiming for notoriety to make a name for themselves or sometimes just because they, they consider it funny. And this leads to, of course, a, a range of, of capabilities and attack types. So yes, we talk a lot about ransomware, but it isn't necessarily ransomware. It could be directly monetizing the attack in the case of the KuCoin um, breach, where they're just stealing something of value. It could be um, threat actors looking for personal information to do identity fraud, or maybe looking for personal information to use as part of a social engineering attack uh, as part of the, um, the campaign. It could be um, attackers looking to sabotage systems. So we talked about distributed denial of service attacks in this podcast, but looking for an extreme example there, look for Stuxnet, the US government targeting the Iranian nuclear facility Natanz to physically disrupt its ability to enrich uranium. It's a sabotage attack, so it's broadly speaking the same category. It could be um, inside a threat where the motivations are... Um, you know, financial, political, whatever, but the actual actions are being performed by your own staff. So that can be a much harder thing to deal with. You're not going to have something really obvious like a brute force attack or a credential stuffing attack, something like that. It could be just legitimate staff members who are logged in. So when it comes to dealing with all of these things and like the, the actual remedial action, I guess that there is a few pointers, a few things to draw out from this podcast and this month's what's been happening. Uh, the first complaint, of course, I mentioned earlier, sites that don't support password managers or don't support two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication if you prefer. Um, yeah, like I, I cannot recommend that a site would prevent the use of password managers, would prevent the use of pasting passwords. It's a great frustration of mine. Password managers are great in that balance of security versus convenience. A lot of non-technical users are going to reuse passwords, they're going to choose poor password choices, they're going to, you know, not make uh, informed choices in regards to passwords because they don't follow security to the same degree we do, right? So letting them use password managers or even encouraging the use of um, things like password managers or multi-factor authentication is a good thing. Implementing multi-factor authentication on your system so that users can use it. You don't necessarily have to enforce it. That's a decision for your business, but just enabling users who want to use it to allow them to use it. It is a big thing and I definitely would recommend that. When it comes to disruption attacks, denial of service tax, distributed denial of service tax, yeah, they're, they're a big thing and it can be really disruptive to an organization. And you should be looking at how much would it impact you? Can you take that stance that ACS Law did where they were just like, oh, this is a bit of a mild annoyance or at the right time for the right length of time, would that be a significant disruption to your business? And then you should be investing in some kind of DDoS protection. You should be investing in testing those processes. What happens if we get hit by a DDoS and what do we do about it? Definitely the worst time to try and work out what to do about a DDoS is during a DDoS. Um, and then looking at insider threats, how do you determine those attacks have taken place? How do you determine that a user is doing something that they shouldn't. You know, we could talk about behavioral analysis and those kinds of things, or we could just talk about um, monitoring user accounts for what they're up to and suspicious activities. Um, insider threats, a big deal. It's a difficult one to protect against, and it can be a difficult one to even detect. So something worth thinking of. And I guess that's a big overview, big kind of summary of the different motivations that attackers have. 
Uh, do you think I've, I've missed one? These are just examples that have come out this month. But do you think there's uh, another motivation that's, that's maybe worth uh, talking about? Maybe we'll do a, a part two of I've missed anything significant. And of course, thanks for listening. And I will see you in the next podcast. Thank you.